You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. We're in the middle of a series, like we're at the start of a series uh, in the book of Acts. And the, the reason we're here is because we feel that this is so important for this fellowship here and now and for this town. Because we, we don't want to just play church. We don't wanna, we're not content with having meetings. We, we want to see God moving in power in the town. And for that to happen, God wants access in your life to move in power through you. Because it's not me that is going to be, like, with the other ministers in town, like, superheroes in the town, bringing the gospel, like, you know, glorious apostles or anything like that. It's you. It's you. And our job is to equip. Our job is to encourage. Our job is to kind of nudge you in that direction. But you're the church. Together, we're the church. So we're, we're in Acts right now because the Holy Spirit did something incredible that started with a room full of people and ended up billions of people across time and in the world mm. declaring the glory and the wonder of Jesus who is our saviour. People are meeting all over the world today at this time at different times to do the same thing that we're doing here, lifting high the name of Jesus. Yeah. We're in good company. Yeah. Now, Two weeks ago, I spoke on Acts 1 about the importance of waiting on the Holy Spirit, waiting for him to move. Let's not try and preempt him. Let's not try and do it in our own strength. Let's wait for the Holy Spirit to come and uh, empower what we do. And then two weeks ago, Ian uh, spoke about Pentecost, and it was a brilliant message. But the thing that really stuck with me was this, that he said, God is not finished with you yet. He has more for you. And whether or not you were here to hear that, that is true. You can catch up with these on our podcast as well, by the way. But God's not finished with you yet. He has more for you. And actually, in in chapter 2, verse 17, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, quotes Joel, the book of Joel. He quotes 28 to 29, saying this, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. We are in those days. God doesn't want to pour out his spirit on the leadership of the church. He doesn't want to pour out his spirit on the conference speakers, on the the, the Hillsong and Bethel worship leaders. He wants to pour his spirit out on you. He wants to pour his spirit out on you. And with the spirit comes the gifting and the empowering of the spirit. That's for you. That's for today. Actually, it's not for you. It's through you for the kingdom, for the glory of Jesus Christ. There's a sense of this in Isaiah 44.3. He says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams Upon the dry ground, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. Graham had a picture this morning of just a waterfall here at the front of the stage. And the water was gushing over these steps and flooding out into the room. And it was covering the feet of all of the chairs in the room. Now, that's a picture, but it's a picture of something that actually God is doing and wants to be doing in our midst, 
here, that his Holy Spirit is to be poured out. Better get ready to get your feet wet. Mm -hmm. It's not confined to a time frame, this pouring out. It's not confined to the original apostles and to that, that original Pentecost. There is no evidence in scripture, none, zip, none whatsoever, that suggests that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that miracles, that things like that stopped when the last apostle died. There's no evidence at all. If you want to prove that in scripture, you have to do real kind of like loop the loops. There's no evidence that says that was for them and they stopped. The Holy Spirit wants to pour out in your life now and move in power in your life now. And that is how this town is going to be transformed. So prophesying dreams, visions. Alistair talked about these a little bit last week. I didn't tell him what to preach on. I didn't tell him what we were doing. Isn't it amazing how when God is involved, there's a cohesion between what we're saying individually. All of that, all of those gifts, all of that power is available for today. Available, visible, valuable. But for what purpose? How, how we answer that question really will determine how we view the gifts and how we operate in those gifts. So go to Acts 2. Now, I'm just going to sidetrack for a second. Um, when I used to get home from school, when I wasn't skiving, or even when I was skiving and I pretended to get home from school, I'd get home and quite often my mum would be sitting at the, the, the dining room table reading a paper and eating a brown sugar sandwich. I don't know why, that's disgusting, you know. Like, no wonder I got a sweet tooth. But she used to eat, apparently it started when she was pregnant, but it didn't stop after that, you know. She, she just had brown sugar sandwiches. Have you been doing that, Abby? Oh, she gave them to you. Okay, it was like prophetic brown sugar sandwich there. Brilliant. <laughs> For those of you that are just confused by that, Abby's my niece, so she knew my mum quite well as well. Um, now, mum was so engrossed in her paper that I could come in and, and say anything and it would just be like zip, nothing. See, there'd be no response from her. So I could come in and say, mum, I got an A star. It wouldn't be true anyway, she probably knew that. <laughs> you know, not likely. Mum, I don't need dinner because I've just filled myself silly with sherbet dip dabs. Nada, nothing, no response whatsoever. Um, mum, the house is on fire. Well, honestly, she wouldn't have noticed until, you know, her, her skirt or whatever was starting to get singed, and then she'd be like, oh, better leave. She was oblivious, absolutely oblivious. And perhaps you've been in a conversation with somebody um, where they failed to be present in the conversation. Have you ever experienced that? I used to be great at that. I'm ashamed of this, but I used to be great at that on the phone to my mum because my mum would just yap on, yap on, yap on. Wrong number, one hour conversation. That's what my mum could do. And so she'd be talking at me on the phone and I, I, just, I learned where to say yes. I'm ashamed of that. I loved my mum. You know, but you, you know that kind of conversation. And you've had that kind of conversation with someone else and you've experienced how frustrating that is. You know, guys, put your phones down when someone's talking to you. <laughs> Honestly, like if there's a bugbear, I'll just get this off my chest like it's therapy this morning. You know, there's, I, I find a little more infuriated when you're, you're having a conversation with somebody and they just, it just goes. And you see them like, how many likes have you got? You know, it's like they just zone out of the conversation. Uh, Mum, I've been expelled. 
Well, that one would get a reaction. <laughs> Somehow she was tuned into the negative. She wouldn't be tuned into anything else. But, Mum, I've been suspended from school. Uh, the teachers are going to phone you. I'm in trouble. Mum, I'm going to be arrested. That actually happened when I was at school one day. I got home, took the phone off the hook, um, because I knew the school would be phoning to say, your son's in big trouble. <laughs> and, and, uh, and sure enough, the, the alarm starts going off on the phone, those old phones that you had to take off the hook. And the second it gets put back on the hook, it rings. It's not the school, it's the police saying, please, can you bring your son down to the police station? We want to arrest him in front of you. So my mum got arrested in front of my mum. It was a fun story, it was good. <laughs> that made her put her paper down. And, and perhaps sometimes we can feel that that's how the conversation goes with God, that we're talking at God, and he's not really saying a lot until we mess up. And then we feel like God's got a lot to say on it. There's a conversation that's been taking place between heaven and mankind since the very beginning. Uh, throughout the whole of scripture. Genesis right the way through to Revelation. It's really the, the nuts and bolts of what scripture is all about. What God's trying to communicate. It's a conversation that has two main parts. Two main themes. And that the themes are this. Promise and warning. Think about it. Promise and warning. Or you could use the words blessing and exaltation. Promise and warning. Blessing and exaltation. And in Acts 2.39... Peter says, the promise is for you. Hear that this morning. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Who's far off in your family right now? Who's far off in your friends right now? The promise is for them also. For all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them. Promise, warning, Saying, pleading with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. A couple more examples of this. Blessing. Every tree and every fruit in this garden is for your enjoyment, for your pleasure. That's what God says to Adam and Eve. Everything you see is for your enjoyment. They didn't need to eat back then because there wasn't death. So eating was something of pleasure, of enjoyment. Everything there is for your enjoyment. But then the warning comes, don't touch this one tree, because if you do, you will die. Blessing and warning. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, that's an exhortation, because it's the word if. If my people will humble themselves, and call upon my name. The if means that if you do not, you don't receive the blessing. Does that make sense? If my people will humble themselves. And the blessing is this. Then I will hear from heaven. I'll heal their land. If you do this, then I will do this. That's the promise. And we... We see the same dynamic in scripture from John 3, and you know this verse so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, that's really important, whoever, whoever believes in him, whoever, it doesn't matter if they're in prison and they've been there for a life sentence, whoever believes in him, it doesn't matter if they stole from you, whoever 
believes in him. It doesn't matter who hurt you, who, who spoke words against you, who cut you, whoever. And the blessing and the promise in that is that it means it's for you as well. That you are the whoever. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He's, he's not like my mum with the radar on the negative. Just waiting for you to mess up so he can pounce upon you. Because he didn't come into this world to condemn it, but to save the world through himself. That's the blessing. Here's the warning. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. You see, he can hold that. Where he's just said the son didn't come into the world to condemn the world, that can remain true because it's not the son who's doing the condemning here. Who is it? It's the person themselves. Condemning themselves. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. We're not talking about some future thing in this context here. We're talking about life here and now, that if you are refusing to believe in Jesus, you are standing yourself in condemnation. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, again, we've got blessing and warning. That blessing is for everyone if you believe in the one son that God loved so much, but he loved the world so much that he sent that son. You have the blessing. It's your choice. If you refuse the blessing, you stand in the condemnation. There's a constant back and forth. Those are the examples I'll give you, but you have a look through scripture. You'll see that constant back and forth between blessing and promise, uh, and promise or warning and exhortation. It, it really is summed up in this one question. Who is this Jesus? Now, what are you going to do with him? That is the only question in this life that really matters. Who is Jesus? What are you going to do with that information when you answer that question? The thing that makes this a conversation is this. It's a conversation because it's open from heaven. Because it's two-sided. A conversation is two-sided. Not like when my mum's reading her paper and I'm telling her all these lies just to try and get her attention. It's not like that. Heaven wants a conversation with you. It's having a conversation and says, come and be part of that conversation. Because actually it requires or, or even desires a response out of the people. Engagement. That question demands engagement from you. Who is Jesus? You have to answer that question. If you don't answer it today, and if you don't answer it before you breathe your final breath on this planet... You will answer that question as you stand before him. So it's the most important question of life. It's the most important question that we could ask of the town. Who is Jesus? And then once you answer that, what are you going to do about it? Engagement, response. 
Acts 2, 36 and 38, it's not coming up on the screen, but it says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent. We don't really like that word these days, but it's there. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit does not come without repentance. Because if you're trying to be good enough, but you're refusing to repent for not being good enough, then you're relying on your own strength. But, but if you repent, what you're effectively saying is, I am not enough. I cannot do this. I need to come to the table and allow Jesus to cleanse me. And then you can receive. Because he does the cleaning in your life. This is Jesus. Now what are you going to do with him? That's a bit of backstory. Now why is that important? This conversation, the heavens conversation. Why... Have I spent so much time outline, uh, outlining this? Because the central role of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate and glorify Jesus. That's his central role, to point to Jesus. His role is to ask that question of you, who is Jesus? Enable you to ask that question of others, but he also enables you to answer that question. So in Acts 2, if you've got your Bibles open, I want you to notice something. And just consider the whole picture of Acts 2. What happens at the beginning is that the guys are together in a room and they're praying. And it's, it's the, the Feast of Shavuot, it's, it's Pentecost. And, and as they're together, there's a, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, it's a sound like because it's not actually kind of like blowing their hair up and stuff like that. It's the sound like a mighty rushing wind. And something that looks like tongues of fire uh, appears and then divides out upon each of their heads. This is weird kind of stuff. This doesn't happen regularly. It's amazing. And they're all like astounded. What the heck is going on here? This is fantastic. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. But what I want you to notice in the context of this is, what's the first thing outside of the rushing wind and the tongues of fire? What's the, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does, aside from that manifestation, uh, that visual manifestation? The first thing he does is enable conversation. Enable communication. The disciples, the first thing they do, they start speaking in languages. And now we can understand this here as being language like French or German or Swahili or you know whatever or Welsh or Gaelic. That's what they're speaking here are languages. And we know that because the people standing around them who are looking at all this stuff that's going on can understand them in their own tongue, in their own language. They know what they're saying. So you've got people coming from Greece saying, hang on, these guys are speaking Greek. And you've got people coming from Persia saying, hang on, these guys are speaking Persian. And you've got people who are Aramaic 
kind of saying, wow, we're hearing this in Aramaic. Everything, every person is hearing it in their own language. And then the other thing is that the disciples start speaking with a boldness and a clarity and a beauty that astounds the crowds. Absolutely baffles them. In fact, a couple of chapters later where Peter and John uh, are trying to make a case in front of the religious rulers of the time, the religious rulers are, are amazed because they take note that these guys are uneducated men. They haven't been taught. They haven't been to Bible college. They haven't got a degree. These are guys who fish. Their whole world was about practical doing. And they would have had a grasp of some things, but this was way beyond. The clarity, the boldness, the agility with which they speak is something that they could not have done on their own. Now, this might seem a bit perhaps boring or commonplace compared to healings, you know, or you know, other miracles, provisions, things like Jesus standing on a mountainside saying, I've got a few little bits of bread and a couple of fish and I'm going to feed 5,000 people. Boom, that's amazing. And we'd all be like, wow, that's lovely. And maybe just speaking in a foreign language or just being able to speak boldly doesn't quite meet the same thing. But actually... Make no mistake, this is a powerful, supernatural occurrence of great significance. In a way, God is resetting what happened at the Tower of Babel. And if you want to look at that in your own time, it's Genesis 11, 1 to 9. Uh, it's where the people get together and they're like, hey, tell you what, because they've all got one language. What we're going to do, we're going to build this impressive city, and in the middle of that, we're going to build this tower, we're going to make the bricks for it, we're going to do this and that. These guys are organised, and they, they decide they're going to make a tower that reaches into the heavens. And that their reasoning for this is so that we can make a name for ourselves. And so God comes along, notices that they're trying to make a name for themselves, yet his name is the name that is to be lifted high. And so what he does is he confuses their language. And because they suddenly can't understand each other, they're babbling. That's where the word comes from, Babel. They're babbling at each other, and they don't understand each other. So what they do is they scatter. <laughs> and what God is doing at the day of Pentecost is saying that you were all confused. Now I'm bringing you together to be a people. <laughs> See, that power to divide or unite is in God's hands. And he's resetting it. And you know, today, it's still true that people want to make a name for themselves. Perhaps sometimes we want to make a name for ourselves as well. When God resets this, what happens? He draws people. This first act of the Holy Spirit is about communication. And in fact, every gift, every gift is about communication. Every gift of the Holy Spirit is about the communication of the good news about Jesus, the promise 
and the warning, the blessing and the exhortation. The Holy Spirit's role in our lives, as I've said, is to reveal and point to and illuminate and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. A gift will always point to Jesus. A gift will always point to Jesus. Either that or it's not mature or it's not being used by a mature person or it's not genuine. But a genuine gift will always point to Jesus. It will always push him up and put ourselves down. Listen, and this is really the crux of what I want to get to today. Someone operating under the Holy Spirit's power will point to Jesus, even if they're talking about themselves. Go figure. Someone operating under the power of the Holy Spirit will always point to Jesus, even if they're talking about themselves. But somebody who is operating under their own power will point to themselves even when they're talking about Jesus. And that's my biggest worry here as a preacher is that you see me, that, that, or that I try to figure out how to be a good preacher and learn how to be a good preacher and practice this so that I hone it and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But the power of the Holy Spirit is the thing that I need and you need in this church. Anything born of God, empowered by the Spirit, will succeed. It's as simple as that. Nothing can come against it. Nothing. Despite the toughest opposition, despite the toughest odds, if God has spoken it, if his Holy Spirit is empowering it, it will happen. Jesus is going to return. Sure. <laughs> but anything that isn't born of God and conveyed in the power of the Holy Spirit will fail. And even one of the, the head Pharisees of the time, Gamaliel, actually notices this. As the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers are thinking what to do with these guys, he says, look, there was a guy a few years back that had all these followers and then he died and then after 20 years all his followers just vanished. If this is of God, this will stand. And if this is not of God, it will surely fail. Every gift, every empowerment for the same purpose, to communicate, to point to and glorify Jesus. They're not a show to impress people with. This is why we want to be in Acts. Because we want the authentic movement of the Holy Spirit in this church. And I, I long to hear more praying out in tongues, more prophecy, more, more visions, more pictures, more interaction, more people going, this is what God has done in my life. This is what happened when I spoke to my neighbour. This is how excited I am to be in God's presence. This is what is happening in power in our church and in our lives. That's what we want to see. But we want it to be him. We want it to be him. We can't win people on how gifted we are. You might have the most wonderful gift of healing. If you do that without communicating Jesus Christ, all you've done is you've made that person's life a little bit better until they die. Jesus even rebuked people who came along because he did amazing things. And when he fed people, he said, you've just come here because you knew you'd get food. 
And if you read between the lines a little bit, he's actually saying, you came here because you knew I'd do a cool trick and you'd get food out of it. But that wasn't the reason Jesus was here. He, he didn't come here just to, you know, heal a withered hand or to make somebody be able to see again. Yes, he did that. Yes, he delights to do that. Yes, that shows something of the Father's heart through Jesus. But that's not the reason that he came. He didn't come just to make you more comfortable and make life a bit better for you. He came to rescue you from sin and darkness so that you may have an eternity with him instead of an eternity separated from him. That's the reason Jesus came. And the gifts are communicating that. I love you. I want you. I want to wrap my arms around you. He says, oh, Jerusalem, that I could gather you in like a hen gathers its chicks in its wings. That hug this morning. It's so important that you hear that from the heart of God. He's not my mum sitting there waiting to hear something negative about how you're behaving. He wants to gather you in. He says that to the city, knowing that it's within those walls that he will be agonizingly killed. The whole purpose of the giver and the gift is to reveal Jesus. To transform us into his likeness. To prepare the church to be his bride. That Jesus would increase and that we would decrease. You know, I, I love the day where I love preaching. <laughs> I love talking. I love the sound of my own voice as well. But I long for the day where I'm, I'm almost mute because the power of God is so strong that all of us, we can't speak because the presence of God is doing all the talking. I long for that day. I long for that day in this church. Because I'd rather hear what he has to say than what I have to say. So as I wrap this up, I wrote this down. It's not actually, it doesn't quite fit the message that I was playing, but I wrote this down because it really struck me, and I think this is a word that you need to hear. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you. That's part A. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you. He wants to empower you. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how confident you are, how timid you are. None of that matters. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you. And then part B is this, stop hiding in the back of the room. That's a a word that I felt God give me. So it's not about where you're sitting today, don't worry guys, (laughs) if you're sat at the back. I think that spiritually, there are people in this church who are hiding at the back of the room. Why? Maybe, maybe you think that you're not valuable enough because somebody else is more gifted, mm. has a different kind of personality to you. Somebody else will do it. So maybe it's that kind of fear thing. Maybe it's that comparison thing. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's just like, yeah, but God will do it anyway. I'll just let him go on and do his thing and I'll live my life and be comfortable. God's saying, stop hiding at the back of the room. He wants to empower you. He wants you front and centre in his plan for this town. 
So when the Holy Spirit enables and empowers us, please go away and just read through Peter's sermon again. And actually read Acts 3 and Acts 4 as well, because he just keeps doing this. And then read the account of Stephen as he's about to be stoned. And I don't want to say too much about this, because we'll probably preach that in a couple of weeks' time. But this guy is being stoned, and he comes out with this most wonderful word from God. How you can speak with such clarity and beauty when you're literally facing that angry mob of death. Mm. And he does it not because he's clever, not because he's a tough character, but because he's empowered Mm -hmm. by the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit enables and empowers you, he brings into you courage and clarity. You find you know what to say and you have the boldness to say it. And in fact, sometimes it's the other way around. You, you start with the courage. I don't know what to say, but I'm going to start with the courage. Believing that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers what I'm about to say. And just do it. Trust him. Courage. And then the Holy Spirit also brings clarity to make you understood when you find you know what to say, have the boldness to say it, even if you come from a position of timidity, God will not let you down. How wonderful a sign is it to a non-believer that this person who's normally quite reserved, shy, speaks quietly or whatever, suddenly starts speaking with authority and power. That's a great, a great testimony to the power and presence of God. Audacious courage. I love what Peter says. He says it a few times, and I'll chuck out some notes this week on Facebook or something for you to look at this. But Jesus, so Peter says a few times, this Jesus who you crucified. He's talking to the crowd. He hasn't gathered the centurion and his legions that, that put Jesus on the cross. He hasn't gathered Pontius Pilate and his wife. He hasn't gathered those Pharisees and those leaders that, that shouted crucify him. He's talking to the crowd and saying, this Jesus, you crucified. That you crucified. He says it four or five times. And he, he says this, you killed the author of life. Yeah. I mean, there is a judgment. You killed the author of life. Now, you need to hear that in this room today. You killed the author of life. I killed the author of life. But God raised him to life. He's not dead. My sin nailed him to the cross. But he, on that cross, forgave my sin. Set me free from its power and its sting. And now says, you're my child and I love you. And whenever God speaks through us, through the power of his Holy Spirit, courage, clarity leads to conviction. What happens? These guys listening were cut to the heart. And the next question is this. What should we do? When the Holy Spirit is involved in what you're saying, he does the work. He brings the conviction. He brings the challenge. If you're feeling any stirring in your spirit today, it's not because I'm a gifted speaker. It's really not. I've battled over this this week. It's because the Holy Spirit comes and takes what I can't do and does the work. In fact, that's the way it should be. 
They were cut to the heart. They asked what to do. Peter says, repent and be baptised. And then that leads to great celebration. And 3,000 people are added. Guys, we're not going to transform this town. And we're not going to see this church grow by us being clever or about us figuring out how to do church in a modern, relevant way by having the right music, the right lighting. Any of that stuff is almost completely irrelevant. What we need is the move of the Holy Spirit of God to bring that celebration. And I'll finish with this. This is Acts 3. 19. Uh, Receive this today. Peter says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That's the warning. Repent, you need to do the action. That your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. There's the warning. But if you listen to this Jesus, times of refreshing, times of blessing, times of sin being blotted out. Let's pray.